0: thought, well, I'll just let the last session be Q&A, that way if everybody's gone it won't matter. <laughs> but um, then somewhere in an email that went flying back and forth on, on the talk, somebody said, what about the grandparents? Yeah. So, geezer. now you don't, get, uh, you don't get Q&A, you get geezer talk. You know, it's interesting, if you call somebody an old coot, nobody wants to be one. But geezers has kind of a nice ring to it, so I've, been all, I've seen all kinds of you, and some of you are pretenders. You're nowhere near geezers yet. <laughs> no, I was going to say, my brain will run out about halfway through, and uh, so we'll be good. Um, yeah, I don't really know how to define the category of geezer. Although I did say, and I will say it again, if you're a lady, you can't become a geezer. I don't know what you become, but you don't become a geezer. Geezers are guys. Yeah. Uh, Pastor, yeah, we're using this in the most charitable Christian sense of the word. If you actually look it up, which a number of us are not doing. Not me. <laughs> Okay. All right, all right. You've got a native son by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you the in the, Old in sense. The the yes. Sun. Yes. Okay. All right, all right. All right. Well, maybe we shouldn't go down that road any farther. We'll take it as a term of endearment. <laughs> but whatever it means, uh, you know, you're uh, maybe you get into your sixties, you're an aspiring one. Uh, you get into your seventies, you're a primary one, but you really got to get into your 80s before you're a a hardcore, and then I think if you're in your 90s, you're probably a super geezer, or maybe a hyper geezer. Anyway, senior saints, how's that? Which is so unoffensive as to be totally boring, who wants to be a senior saint, Shh. All right, let's pray. You are the God of our fathers, O Lord, and we praise you and bless you. Um, We think about those early chapters of Genesis, where for many reasons um, unrevealed to us, even the fallen race of Adam attained really amazing ages, but they died in the end, and they were gathered to their fathers. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, still living to uh, a good old age, and we thank you that, that our churches have brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandfather, grandmothers in the faith who are living to a good old age. And Lord, we know that our lives are a vapor, that there is no absolute promise of this afternoon, let alone tomorrow or ten years from now. And yet we don't think that you speak in terms of long life to trick us, to mock us, but to encourage us that even in those years you will be our God and you will make us fruitful in your service. And so we ask as we spend a few minutes in this last uh, session thinking about these things that you will encourage us all both if we're already there but also with hope Um, for Lord it is true in our culture uh, we've gotten to the point technologically and medically where we can extend life expectancy further and further and further and yet uh, for so many those last years are horrifying uh, in many ways. and So bless us in your word that we might have hope and that uh, as your word promises we might still be bearing fruit even in our old age. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. You know, for decades we hear about the youth culture the youth culture. Some people like the idea that we have a youth culture. Some people deplore the notion that we live in a youth culture. But now that the boomers are senior citizens, um, that kind of changes. I mean, we still have lots of children, and there are lots and lots of young people, but the people who invented the cliches are kind of having those things come back to bite them now. I mean, You know, for somebody my age to say, don't trust anybody over 30, I mean, how wacky is that sound now? Bob Dylan, for Pete's sake, is in his 70s? Can you believe it? And as for Mick Jagger, what do you think? How's the church been affected by these transitions? I wonder how you seniors feel as you... Uh, as far as your place goes in the life of the church. Has the church really passed you by um, with some bitterness, uh, but not a little truth? One senior saint told me a year or so ago, uh, they rely on us to keep tithing faithfully. But other than that, There's really nothing for us to do in the life of the body except keep out of the way. Um, I've known others who have uh, said almost in these exact words, I've done my time, Christian service as prison. I've done my time, now let the young people take their turn. Uh, I'm looking forward to my spiritual retirement. I intend to veg as a Christian for the next few years. Well, whether it's the feeling that the church has passed us by and there really aren't viable things for senior saints to do in the body of Christ, or the idea that I'm so worn out and burned out that I'm happy to be passed by, we need to think about just what God says to us as senior saints. How do we live under the lordship of Christ as the grandfathers and grandmothers within the family of faith. What is the word of our Lord to this patriarchal generation? You know, the Lord has repeatedly given promises to those who love Him and fear Him that involves in one expression or another a long life and ultimately, of course, immortality. And again, I'll just give this disclaimer here so I don't have to repeat it, but we know that there are many exceptions to the rule, uh, that not every godly man or woman lives into their 70s or 80s or 90s. But in a sense that any of us do, given the devastating effects of the curse, is a blessing from God. But those older years are afflicted with bodily illnesses and injuries and just weakness that continues and then uh, the terrors of the mental breakdowns, the dementia and the Alzheimer's that affect so many in those years. But listen to the word of the Lord. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That one may turn away from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 12:28. "The fear of the Lord uh, excuse me, the path of the righteous is life, and in its pathway there is no death. That's literally, and, and then the translation, immortality. <clears throat> Despite the exceptions to the rule, it does seem like these kind of promises are designed to create an expectation and a hope that God might continue to faithfully bless us and use us over many, many, many years. And that means we are wise to prepare for those older years and to anticipate just what God will do with a sense of expectancy but in the face of growing physical and mental disabilities and weakness what can we do with these promises if God actually takes us into our 70s 80s 90s and and perhaps even beyond What will our life, what should our life be like? Well, despite the uncertainties, one thing is crystal clear. There's no time limit on growing spirituality, growing faith, growing hope, growing love. Paul says to Titus, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, Self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. There you go. There's your job description, you geezers. In Christ, you are to be sober-minded in your old age. Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Is that what you have set yourself to in your senior years? To see those attributes? In the Holy Spirit, grow and flourish as long as you have life. You know, we really, as we think about this matter of aging, we need to keep two seemingly contradictory, certainly paradoxical realities in balance. And I'm thankful that the Apostle Paul at least slammed them right up against one another so that we might contemplate them. And you know what I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians 4.16 So we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Outer man wasting away, inner man being renewed day by day. And again, I just remind you that in Paul's theology, the outer man is bound to the effects of the fall, the old man in Adam, and the new man is that one that is new in Christ and is growing and being renewed day by day. And as we experience so intensely in those older years, the wasting away of the outer man. I mean, I remember the first time, I can't remember how long ago it was, when I got out of bed and hurt when I stood on the floor for the first time. I mean, that would happen after a basketball game or something, you know. But where I thought, now every morning when I get up, it's going to take me a few steps before I don't feel my feet hurt. I had that conversation with the doctor the other day. He says, well, what do you take for your pains? And I said, well, really nothing, because by the time I get to the bathroom, my feet don't hurt anymore. Because I don't have arthritis. It's something else with a fancy name. But some of you, it's a chore to do anything, and it's going to get worse. And so we're conscious every single day of that weakness of the outer man, and that may include mental deterioration too. I mean, we joke about not being able to remember this or that, but it is terrifying when you can't remember things that used to be so easily called to mind. My father-in-law died a year ago after four years of dementia. It was a sad, sad thing to watch. And some of you have seen it in loved ones, and some of you are going to experience it yourself. So we're not smug about the promises of God. That outer man is going to waste away. But I wonder if with that, and if even the outward uh, reminders don't then make us think about the inner man and this constant renewal that is promised. It is the word of the Lord, and we may not find excuses not to believe it. Think about Psalm 92, verse 12. And following another wonderful promise along these very same lines, and I use this for the title of the message. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of the Lord. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. The flesh will flag and fail, but faith must not. Faith must be renewed day by day. And again, in the resources of God's Word and the indwelling power of the Spirit, our best years of faith can be those same years which, from a physical standpoint, are the worst, and the weakest. It is the promise of God. Turn with me for a moment to Psalm 71. This records the thoughts and prayers of an elderly saint as he looks back over a lifetime of learning the ways of the Lord and serving His people. And just to sample some verses, Psalm 71 The first verse, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Verse 5, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. Verse 9, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. "'Forsake me not when my strength is spent.'" Verse 14, "'I will hope continually and praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness.'" Yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power, to all those to come. Remembering and proclaiming. That's the job of the senior saint. Looking back, now some of us haven't had the privilege of being raised in covenant homes so we can't quite go back to birth or before except in the, loving, uh, the electing love of God. But at some point we came to faith in Christ and maybe it was from the beginning and we have seen God's faithfulness through that arc, through that trajectory of a life. And now we're going to proclaim to those arising, those yet to come, the faithfulness of the Lord as it has been manifested in our lives. And I would just ask you, to whom have you told your life story? When my son went in the Marine Corps, uh, he got into a conversation, I'm not quite sure how it started, but my dad started a correspondence with him where he recounted his own life experiences and it was it was sort of stream of consciousness and anecdote here an event there and so forth and and eventually he gathered those letters and wrote some other connecting so I have um, about a hundred and fifty pages of rough memoirs of my father and i remember hearing those stories here and there you know how those things come up you know something happens oh i remember and so forth but i ask others you know do you have anything like that from your father your mother your grandfather to whom have you told your story that's what the psalmist he says don't let me die until i've told a new generation my story I challenge you to think about that you know maybe say well my kids aren't interested maybe so maybe not yet or maybe what your kids aren't interested in your grandchildren will want to know and you may be gone and they won't hear the story unless you tell your story I've often thought it would be so much fun but it's one of those things that gets shoved off because you don't have time. To sit down with the senior saints in my own congregation and start the tape. And make them tell me their story. Proclaim to this rising generation the faithfulness of the Lord in real, ordinary people. I mean, we read the biographies of the famous ones. But for every famous saint, there are thousands of unnamed and forgotten that ought not to be forgotten. So that's, uh, that's kind of the job description, I think, that God gives us as we grow older. and Whether you formalize it in some kind of written form or audio form that can be preserved, or whether you just... You know, and when I say this, I mean, I can think of somebody, oh, come here, sonny, let me tell you my life story. Uh, no thanks. No thanks, Gramps. Not, not all that interested. Well, you tell it for the Lord's sake, maybe not your own son. I uh, have the privilege uh, these days, have for the last seven or eight years, in gathering with some um, ministers and elders that are reformed in their soteriology, and beyond that it gets a little iffy ecclesiastically, except for us true blue Orthodox Presbyterians. But, but half the group are octogenarians. One man was uh, very active in the Billy Graham organization in the 50s. He was, went around with the big crusades and so forth, and our old John Culley. And, and just being able to sit with them... Um, Once a month, and in preface to prayer, see what kind of jewel is going to drop, and hardly a month goes by that I don't go home with something that's really worth cherishing. What a wondrous hope, looking back over a long life of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, and then being able to tell others. Because, you know, that's often the case, I mean, we've talked about this, haven't we, already, with with how we can learn within the body of Christ when we are younger and beginning some mission in the church to, to learn from others who have already engaged in it or, or are past and are looking back on it. What a, what a wealth of information that is. And, and, it, and it just is dissipated because our conversations at fellowship times are so superficial about things that don't matter and won't last. Now, that's not the best context in which to have this kind of a conversation, but I really think it ought to be had as much as possible. Our calling from the Lord as senior saints is to bear witness, even as we remember His faithfulness. Now, sometimes we're not inclined to do that. It's not just a problem that maybe nobody wants to listen, but maybe we don't want to be bothered Because old people can be just as superficial as young people can be. How can we fulfill this responsibility? Well, again, we need to look of bearing fruit in old age. We need to look to the Spirit of God who brings life from the dead. And I want to just draw your attention for a moment to Romans 4. Now again, I'm I'm slightly tangential to the main point that Paul wants to make about aged Abraham, but I think there's still something to learn for our purposes today from this discussion of Abraham and his belief in the promise of God that he would bear a son. So let me just read verse 17 and following. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of "...of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead." since he had a, was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. When we think about the fruit that we can bear as older believers in the body of Christ, unbelief is the great threat. I don't have anything to contribute, or what I have to contribute won't be received, it won't be valued or, or cherished, and so I just won't do it, I won't, I won't say it, I won't take the trouble, I won't take the risk of being rejected. I mean, Abraham had one job to do, sire a son. And it took all of his faith in the face of the deadness of his body and the barrenness of Sarah's womb to hope against hope and to receive what was promised. Well, we don't have to sire any children in our old age, but we do have to bear fruit in the body of Christ, in the lives of younger people. And uh, some of you have seen some of these fruitful old saints. We mentioned Raleigh's many years of service. I mean, I remember him running the youth winter retreats in Northern California when we were back in that presbytery, and uh, um, his wisdom and his rapport with the kids struck me as a 20-something year old pastor, and now he's just retiring. Uh, after many, many more years of that same kind. Well, that's one example, And, and, and that's what God calls us to. And if we say, yes, but the resources aren't there. I'm dead. I'm washed up. I've done all I can do. That's when faith must believe the promise of God because he is faithful to do what he has promised. If the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you at 70 or 80 or 90 or 100? You know, there are even saints like my father-in-law who in their dementia bear witness. He couldn't put much together in those years, but he could still pray, and his prayers made sense. And when he heard a hymn that he would sung for 50 or 60 years, he remembered the words. And that was a witness. Though I'm not sure how intentional it was from himself. Let's believe the promise of God. Not waver through unbelief, but grow stronger in faith. Even as we consider our deadness. So that's why I say again, the the, the ricochet should be, here's the constant reminder of the wasting away of the outer man, my weakness, my inability, that should bounce me back immediately then to say, all right, so where's the inner man showing this renewal? Where can I exercise my faith? What can I then do to bear fruit in the kingdom of God? The role of senior saints in the life and ministry of the Christian community is to help younger saints begin to bear their fruit in turn. What do we do with our golden years then in the body of Christ? Uh, I would commend to you a little book that J.I. Packer published just last year, Finishing Our Course with Joy. Guidance from God for Engaging with Our Aging. And this, of course, written by the octogenarian J.I. Packer. It's a wonderful little book. He says The likelihood that most Christians who hit 70 still have before them at least a decade in which some form of active service for Christ remains practicable. Again, there are exceptions. But he wants us to think in terms of opportunity, even in the face of old age. Of course, he draws his title, Finishing Our Course with Joy, from the metaphor of running. Again, Packer says, the image of running was central to Paul's understanding of his own life. And I urge now that it ought to be the central focus in the minds and hearts of all aging Christians who know and feel that their bodies are slowing down. The challenge that faces us is not to let that fact slow us down spiritually, but to cultivate the maximum zeal for the closing phase of our lives. Of course, he's echoing the words of Paul in Philippians 3.13, "...forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward the goal..." uh, uh, "...straining forward, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." Again, Packer, "...as zeal for God and godliness and God's honor was integral to God's image in Christ..." So it should be in us, and we should cultivate zeal along with the rest of Christian virtues up to the ending of our lives on earth, or at least for as long as we can consciously focus and direct our thoughts. Can you be bone-tired and full of zeal at the same time? Can we burn with passion for Christ even when our bodies won't deliver like they used to? See, I think often we think, I'm so tired. I can't be zealous. We've got to disconnect those. Tiredness is the outer man. Zeal is the inner man. He quotes from J.C. Ryle, and I never pass up an opportunity to quote from J.C. Ryle, Zeal in religion is a burning desire to please God, to do His will, and to advance His glory in the world in every possible way. A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It is not enough to say that he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Whether He lives or whether He dies, whether He has health or whether He has sickness, whether He is rich or whether He is poor, whether He pleases man or whether He gives offense, Whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all this the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and advance God's glory. If he is consumed in the very burning, he has but done the work for which God appointed him. Such a one will always find a sphere for his zeal. Did you hear that? Such a one will always find a sphere for his zeal. If he cannot preach, work, give money, he will cry and sigh and pray. If he cannot fight in the valley with Joshua, he will do the work of Moses, Aaron, and Hur on the hill. This is what I mean when I speak of zeal in religion. And Packer applies this specifically to older saints. Maintaining zeal Godward as our bodies wear out is the special discipline, the special discipline to which aging Christians are called. Realism requires us to remember that memory, particularly short-term memory, will weaken Logical tightness of speech will loosen, powers of concentration will diminish, physical exhaustion will overtake us sooner or later, and energy levels will keep going lower. Zeal, however, should be unflagging every day, all day, and all the way. But if this is to happen, zeal must be fed by hope. And that hope is God's promise to bear fruit in us and through us, even in old age. Sounds like we have to seriously adjust our concept of retirement, does it not? Especially if we're inclined to think that there's such a thing as spiritual retirement, letting the young people take over and pull the weight. What do we do? How do we express this zeal? Well, quickly as we close, of course, we're grandparents, many of us, or great-grandparents. And we think about our ministry to our grandchildren. I mean, we've had three of ours up here with us this week, and it's been great to introduce them to the ecstasies of family camp. Happily, when ours get tired, they conk out. When they got, and the light's out, and they are lights out, which is nice. Some of you don't have quite that benefit. But what about all of those children and grandchildren of the family of faith? They're around you all of the time, and your main concern is that when they're running by with a cookie in their hand, they don't knock you off your pins and take you down. It's a realistic fear. But when was the last time you stopped one of those little rugrats? And as a grandpa or a grandma in the faith said, Would you sit with me this morning? Let me talk with you a little bit? Or are they just so far removed from you and they're not your family and they'd rather be with their kids, I think I'll just sit over here with the other geezers and continue to cultivate our friendship. You see, you've got grandchildren, great-grandchildren in the faith that you need to help take care of. And some of you do when called upon, and that's great. I'm just at, urging you to be more proactive in that ministry. Other ministry in the church? Well, you know, we already alluded to the passage in Titus, where older women in the church are given a specific, explicit direction to train the young women to love, to be affectionate toward their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. And I would guess, although Paul doesn't make it explicit, that he wouldn't object to older men doing exactly the same thing for younger husbands and fathers, to teach them how to love their wives, and to care for their children. When I was talking about husbands and wives, I was urging the younger to seek out the older. Now we flip it over. And I urge you, senior fathers, mothers, husbands, and wives, to be active in seeking out the younger. And don't do it like a meddlesome I can help straighten you out, helper. But as one who has learned a lot of lessons the hard way, in humility, go to the younger women and offer to come alongside. And to first hear where they're struggling, and then, as God gives you grace, to minister to them and to instruct them. Again, the younger women won't think the older women will want to take the trouble. And the older women may fear that the younger women won't really be interested. And that's where we have to live by faith and not by sight. Not fear. That fear. And then, here I go one more time, walking in where angels fear to tread. You senior saints have the Honor of teaching the rest of us how to die. Now, I know we could all die at any time, James says that, but as you're aging, you're anticipating the end of your earthly pilgrimage. And you need to be thinking about your death, and you need to be thinking out loud about your death so that you help the rest of the church anticipate in their imagination and prepare for that certain day when we will go to be with the Lord. I mean, there's lots of uncertainties, but there are certain certainties as well. Last year, I preached on death. I sort of jokingly called it Death 101 because I'd never done it before. And I thought all of us ought to talk about the elephant in the middle of the room. And God was gracious to us, and we reminded of our, ourselves of some wonderful things, but then tried to, to bring it into focus. I hate to say visualize, because that's got such goofy New Age kind of... But where you are anticipating imaginatively that experience and preparing yourself for how you are going to face that. I would commend to you a book by Alan Verhey entitled, The Christian Art of Dying. Learning from Jesus, Alan Verhey, V-E-R-H-E-Y, The Christian Art of Dying. He wrote this book after he was diagnosed with a very uh, rare disease, which took him finally to glory uh, last year, but it's a very edifying book, and he makes the point that in the 15th and 16th centuries especially, lots of books about how to die were published And they were read, they were studied, they were used by believers to think about that coming reality. You know, Paul speaks about all of his groaning experiences, mostly under the suffering that came from persecution. But we could apply that also to the groaning that increases as we grow older and we draw nearer to the end of our days. And yet for all of that groaning, Paul is encouraged with the hope of the resurrection that then sheds its light into his experience day by day. He wrote, we, are, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And certainly that means one thing to martyrs in the face of persecution. It means something different and yet not Unlike that, when we think of our own dying of natural causes at the end of a long life, given over to death, so that the life of Jesus might also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, the older people, but Christ is at work in you, life at work in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, knowing That he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. It is the resurrection hope that we have in the face of death that prepares us, and you can prepare the rest of us so that we don't have to be caught unawares. You know, it is astonishing with the certainty of death how little time we spend talking praying, preparing for it. Then when it's forced upon us, we have to play catch-up, whether it's the death of a loved one or the terminal diagnosis that we receive from the doctor ourselves. Life in the groaning world is full of discouragement, depression, frustration, but we do not lose heart. We are of good courage. And it goes back to that paradoxical experience of life here and now. Wasting Versus renewal, affliction and glory, the seen and the unseen. Again, it's not the material versus the immaterial, but rather that which pertains to the old creation under the curse of our sin, and that which pertains to the new creation in the fullness of the Spirit in Christ. In short, it's faith over against a life of sight. And that's exactly how Paul draws it out. We do not lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. So that's the calling. To bear fruit in old age. And there's many other things. I hope this will stimulate your thinking and and your conversation. But but to know that... uh, God still has plenty to do through us. But just as when we're 20 years old and when we're 40 years old, God wants a willing heart and a zeal like that described by J.C. Ryle and J.I. Packer. May God give us grace to age gracefully in the sense of aging full and ever fuller of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful again that you are the God of old age, promising length of days to your people, so often making good on that promise by not only giving us length of days, but a measure of strength and stamina. Lord, I know when I went to Sonora to succeed R.K. Churchill in his mid-70s, he was going to retire, which is Orthodox Presbyterian for, I'm only going to plant three more churches before I die. Lord, I pray that I might have that kind of retirement, and that my brothers and sisters here um, that are in there 70s, 80s, and uh, are ready to go home, look back on a full life like the psalmist in Psalm 71. May they be challenged by you to see the work that yet remains in telling of your faithfulness to a rising generation, discipling those in the life callings of the kingdom that are young and inexperienced and often often floundering in need of help. Lord, may they be a blessing, a rich blessing, a fruitful blessing upon the younger people in the church until that day when you do finally call us home. And may we, O Lord, be a witness in our dying, even as we have sought to be in our living In it all, O Lord, may Christ and Christ alone receive the glory and the praise now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.